glad to be here. I want to share with you something that is uh, very near and dear to my heart this morning, this idea of passing on the faith to the next generation. I've, I've made a career of it. The older I get and the more I do it, the more committed I am to it and the more passionate I am about it. And uh, you guys are going to be able to get a bit of a glimpse of my heart this morning. But uh, first thing I want to do is just read a psalm for you. And this is a psalm that in many ways has become my life verse and my inspiration verse. It's Psalm 71, uh, verse 17 and 18. It says, Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation your might to all who are to come. I just love that. Don't let me go anywhere until I declare your might to the next generation, your power to all who are to come. And I just want to share a little bit with you um, this morning about that. So let's, let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you care so much about the next generation. And I pray that this morning we would catch a glimpse of, of what that means for us as a church community. Um, God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I started out as a youth pastor, I started training about 10 years ago, and a lot of the, a lot of the emphasis was youth ministries about providing something to help supplement what the church is not doing well in the life of youth. And uh, that always seemed a little strange to me, but I did that anyways. And, you know, the first few years of ministry, honestly, were quite difficult uh, w- when I was a youth pastor. And, you know, I had my issues with church and struggled with, okay, how, how does the youth ministry fit in with the church ministry? And how do I wrestle through these issues? And I chatted with some of my leaders and some of my mentors, and they would say, you know what? We understand where you're coming from. Don't worry about the church. Don't worry about trying to lead the church. Just focus in on the youth. Focus in on the youth ministry and create a healthy sustainable youth program. And so I did that for the first few years, and I just really buried myself in the youth ministry and didn't worry too much about influencing the rest of the church. I was part of a, of a fairly large church, so it was easy to be anonymous and, and not talk a lot about what's going on. Um, but I, I quickly learned after a couple years that, you know, it just, it just didn't seem to be working very well. Some of the patterns I saw is that although we had a great youth ministry program, it seemed like, like when youth graduated from youth, they also graduated from church. They just stopped coming. And I started realizing that they felt at home and a part of the community of youth, but they never really felt like they were part of the body of Christ. They never felt like they were part of the larger church. And I never felt like I had the influence to help move the church in a healthy direction so that youth wanted to be a part of it. And so for those last few years of ministry in Calgary, I I, I really tried to re-engage in the leadership of the church, and I really tried to help the youth feel like they were a part of the whole body. Um, did things like bringing them up, up front, encouraging them to serve, encouraging them to be more part of the church. Um, we did missions highlights, and I did a lot better job at uh, giving announcements and just highlighting what's going on in the youth culture so that the youth got excited about the rest of the church getting excited about them. You know, those last few years were uh, much more rewarding and fruitful, I would say. I went to school a couple years ago to finish off my education out in Vancouver, and for my next position, I was looking for a place that was a smaller church, that I wasn't part of a mega church anymore, I was part of a smaller church where I could be a part of the whole church and helping the youth be integrated into that. And so honestly, I was not looking for a youth pastor position. I skimmed over all those positions, those job postings, I was looking for an associate pastor because... As, as important as youth are, and as much as I was still passionate about working with them, an associate pastor more uh, seems to fit the profile of bringing youth into the context of the church 
and, and being able to lead in that direction, whereas oftentimes a youth pastor's job is just to create a youth program and not really worry too much about the church. And I, I, I really didn't want anything to do with that. And I was drawn to this position because it's an associate pastor position. Yes, I work with the youth, but I'm also called to help lead the church as a whole and bring the youth into the church and help them feel like they're a part of the body. And that's what I'm passionate about. And I'm really excited. You know, this, it's, been a, it's been over a year now, about 13 months since I came. And I, I love working here. I love what God's doing. And I love, I love seeing the next generation a part of our church. Even here, there's a lot of kids and youth a part of it. You know, back out in Nelson, there's tons of youth and kids. You know, we, we, we call the kids up forward and then we dismiss them for Sunday school and like the church empties out. It's a great feeling. You know, it's just full of young people. It's, it's fantastic. So really excited to be here. Um, traditionally, and this is a lot of ways how I was um, trained, there's three typical models of how one does youth ministry. Um, entertainment model, which is... Uh, it's a program-centered model where it's all about bringing the kids in, get them excited to come to our program, and really hype them up. Or else there's the charismatic youth leader mode, which is it's all built on one person. That person draws all the kids in, and they love that person. And when that person leaves, the youth ministry falls apart. But basically, it's built on the charisma of one leader. Or else there's an information center, which is kind of more like religious instruction. And you kind of get this more in the mainline denominations where youth don't come to church. They kind of go more to a catechism, and it's more like religious instruction. And these are kind of like the three different modes of how to do ministry. At least that's how I was taught. But I would suggest to you that all three of these are largely deficient because they're not integrated into the life of the whole church. They're kind of separate entities. So what had, uh, what these kind of uh, speak to is you have the church and then you have the youth ministry that's completely separated from the church. And we, well, what essentially you get is a silo ministry. And what we're really looking for, where do I point this thing, Jesse? <laughs> All right, that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for youth ministry to exist, but within the context of the church, fully, fully integrated. Here's my point today. I've really come to believe that one of the defining factors of a healthy Christian community is the ability together to raise up the next generation in faith. And this is what I'm so passionate about and what, I, what I'm hoping to bring uh, to this church, to all three sites. Our youth and our kids should not be siloed as a separate entity apart from the church. Rather, they should be integrated into the whole body of the church. This is so important. And so today I want to focus on the primary role that our community plays in raising the next generation. So you might be sitting here going, okay, well, I'm not a parent. What does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. We're all called to be raising the next generation of faith. So if you have your Bibles, Turn to Deuteronomy 6. There's a lot of things I could share with you this morning, but I want to hear from God, as I'm sure you do. So let's turn to Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Let me give you a, a, a brief context here. This is, uh, this is Moses writing. He's just led the people through the desert, and they are about to enter into the promised land. And he's not going to go with them, and so he kind of gives them this call. And, he, and these instructions says, you're about to get there. Listen to these instructions. I've been your leader for a long time. You need to hear this. This is really important. And chapter 6 is really the heart of the message here, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your 
for you. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your head, on your hands, and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt into the land out of slavery. So this is our passage today. Ultimately, Moses is saying, don't forget about God. Don't forget about him. Life's about to get really good for you. You are entering into the promised land. You're going to inherit cities and homes you did not build and wells you did not dig. Life's going to get good for you. Don't forget about God. This is really, really key. And how are we going to do that? Pass it on to the next generation. Make sure the next generation hears about, me, hears about God and the great things that he has done. And how do we do that? We pass it on. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. This is what the Jews would call the Shema, which is basically, it's the essential creed for Jews. It's read before every Jewish service. It's the first verse that a child commits to memory. You will recall what when Jesus is asked, what's the most important commandment? He quotes this, love God with everything. This is really the heartbeat of Judeo-Christianity, uh, Judeo-Christian belief, loving God with everything that we have. And this is what we're passing down to our kids. And how do we do that? Verse 6, notice that it starts with us first. It starts with our own hearts. We model it, we live it, and they catch it in us. Verse 7, we talk about it often when we're sitting and when we're walking. It's a constant part of our conversation with our kids. Verse 8, exhibit them through symbols. Verse 9, write them in the most obvious places like doorways and gateways. Essentially, let this inhabit you. Let this inhabit the whole, your whole value system that your kids can't get away from what is most important to you. It's, this is not about saying grace before dinner or making sure your kids come to Sunday school once a week. This is about living this in front of them and, and having it absolutely consume your family and your life. You might wonder, how did they do this, this tying of symbols? I was just in Israel uh, a month ago. This is, um, this is the Wailing Wall. This is the most holy site for Jews. Uh, th this is kind of the remains of Herod's temple when it was destroyed in 70 AD. And they come here and they mourn the loss of the temple and they pray for God to restore the temple. Why am I showing you this? Here's a picture. I was there during uh, a bar mitzvah. And so these young boys would come and kind of celebrate their entrance into manhood. And they are actually physically wearing the symbols on their forehead right here. And it's a leather thing that's strapped around their head and it comes down their body. It wraps around their arm and, and wraps around their finger. And that's what they read the Torah with. And so they're actually taking these verses literally. So I'm not suggesting that we do that. How would you kids like to have a big box on your forehead with verses in it? Probably not the best way to go about it, but uh, the point is valid that we have symbols that really s tell our kids in our community how important this is. Um, but what I really want to focus on in this passage is hear, O Israel. It's the very first sentence. Hear, O Israel. Imagine the scene. Moses, he's standing on the hill and he's speaking to the entire Hebrew community. He says, hear, O Israel. Love God with everything and pass this on to your kids. I want you to notice he doesn't pull the parents aside and say, hey, we're going to have a separate parenting seminar over here. Parents, it's your job to pass on the faith to your kids. No, he says, 
people of God, community of God, it's your job together to pass on the faith to the next generation. We often think that this is a message just for parents because it's talking about parent-child language, but it's not. It's talking to the entire community. When Moses is delivering this message, he's making it a national issue, a tribal issue, and a family issue. You might think I'm pushing it too far here and think, well, Moses was really just speaking to the parents. I want you to notice this quote from uh, Fuller Youth Institute. You know, the context of family was so different back there. But they say a family in the Old Testament would have included parents, children, workers, perhaps adult siblings with their own spouses and children. In fact, households could be compiled of as many as 80 people. These texts, such as Deuteronomy 6, are discussing the communal raising of children. Our own cultural distance from these passages may cause us to put undue pressure on parents alone. Here's the point. Parents, I don't think I have to tell you that your primary role in your kid's life is to pass down the faith. We know that. We understand that as parents. It's crucial that we are telling them about Jesus and how good he is and that we are passing on the faith to the next generation. We know that. But I want to tell you, church, you play a significant role in passing down the faith to the kids. It's not just the role of the parents. As, as a parent, I realize I can't do it alone. I realize that the biblical model is that I'm not doing it alone, that I'm including the community of God in helping raise my kids in the faith. And therefore, no one is off the hook. This is not just a sermon for parents. This is a sermon for all of us, whether you have kids or whether you don't. And if you're a teenager and you're kind of zoning out here, my kids look up to you. My kids look up to teenagers in the church, and they go, wow, he's passionate about God. That 12-year-old boy is passionate about God. That inspires my 5-year-old daughter. We all play a role in this. We're in this together. I believe as a pastor and as a dad that one of the most important values of a church is to provide community for kids and to partner with parents as we pass down the faith. And that's really what I'm committing myself to. Now, let me tell you something that might take you totally off guard, uh, teenage parents. Your kids, especially when they hit the teenage years, will need other adult influences in their life other than you. And they will find it whether you like it or not. I've seen this firsthand. I've had great kids who come from great families with great parents and great relationships come and tell me things they would never tell their parents and ask me for advice they would never ask for advice from their parents. Does that make you a bad parent or make them a bad parent? No, not at all. Your kid's growing up. They're, they're gaining some independence and they're looking for advice from other people. They already know what you're going to say. You've been raising them for the last 13 years. They're looking for someone else to speak in your life, into their life. And, and, and that's, th that's just part of growing up and gaining independence. I want you to see this interesting st statistic. I took a class on, um, on conversion, and the prof was a specialist in conversion. And uh, he, one of the assignments was, was to write your own conversion experience. So he's read over a 1,000 conversion experiences and has studied the topic. And this is what he writes in his book. The most effective catalysts for the definitive moments in a conversion process are not parents or peers, but the parent or peers of parents. A pastor, a teacher, a coach, a Sunday school teacher, or a neighbor. The blessing, encouragement, and challenge of these other adults often enable a young person to assume an adult faith. Thus, it is imperative that adults in Christian community recognize the importance of being present to the children of our peers. For them, at all ages, but particularly in their teen and early 20s, there is no substitute for our blessing and our encouragement. Isn't that an amazing statistic? That it's, it's not parents, it's not college and career young adult age, it's parents, peers. 
that really has made the biggest difference statistically in people's uh, decision to follow Christ. Next slide. Let me tell you about a really good friend of mine. His name is Drew, and he looks exactly like Flanders. He's mid-40s. I served with him in Calgary. He was a longtime youth leader. His pants were like up to here. He always wore a plaid shirt. He was not what you would typically expect from uh, a great youth leader, and he was amazing. I, in my last church, we had about 25 youth leaders on, on most given years. M- we were right by the university, and so most of us were, were young, hip college students, just like me, at least at the time. I was like that. And then we had Drew. Guess who the most influential person was in discipling our kids? It was Drew. I, I was leading a group of senior high boys, and I asked them, who's been the most influential person in their life? Thinking they might say me. It was Drew. How could it be me? I was barely out of being a teenager myself at the time. It was Drew King who was the most important influence in their life. I'm so encouraged by the leaders that we have in our ministry, in Core Youth Ministries uh, in Nelson, and a part of uh, Junction and Balfour as well. We, ha- we have a lot of parent-age leaders who are really committed to pouring into students, and it's a really good mix of parent-age leaders and uh, young adult leaders, so 20-somethings. And what I've done is we're broken into small groups, and I have an older I have an older leader and a younger leader in a group of about six or seven students. So we've got a really good mix of somebody that's just come out of high school and somebody that's a peer of their parents. And it's working well, and uh, kids are responding really well. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about our youth ministry in a minute. But I think as a leader, one of the most powerful things I can do for parents is to provide your kids with another adult leader who is reinforcing what you're teaching them at home. I think that's one of the most important things that I can do as a pastor. And so in light of this, one of the core life values that Laura and I have, Laura's my wife, we have three young kids, and we have a couple primary values as we want to raise our kids. And one of them is this. We are seeking to surround our kids with other adults that will speak into their lives and be role models for them and love them because we recognize that we cannot do it alone and we don't want to do it alone. A few ways we do this. We have some best friends that we all grew up with, and we all kind of married at the same time from Kelowna, and we've all moved away, but we get together once a year for an annual camping trip. We've done it for four years in a row now, and we're all committed to doing it, because these are the people we want our kids to look up to, and they are intentional about loving our kids, and they're intentional about speaking into their lives and being a consistent voice in their lives, and us into their kids' lives, and this is really important to us, and we're not going to give that up. Laura and I try really hard to have people into our home other adults with kids who are good influence on our kids so that they can look up to them and see them. We work hard at creating that community. And we will always attend a church that cares for youth and for kids. One of the first questions I asked when I was candidating here is, does your church care for kids? Are there kids? And what kind of program do you have? Because I want to be a part of a church that values passing on the faith to the next generation. Let me tell you a story about a dad who understood this value. I heard the story. I was blown away. His dad... His son was turning 13. He called it the summer of manhood. And he sat down with his son, and together they decided on four adults who would speak into his life that summer. And they would, ta- and they would do a one day with each one of these adults. And so there was four guys they agreed on. And, they, and this, young, this young 13-year-old boy spent a day golfing with a guy, spent a day hiking with a guy, spent a day at the, le- at the beach with the guy, and something else. And it, the whole point was just to hang out with them and to answer one question, the the, the the adult's role was to say one thing about what it means to be a man to the son. At the end of August, they got together, the, five, the, the four adults, the dad and the son, 
and they had a fire and a barbecue, and they said, and they, uh, they shared some things to this boy. Here's what I see in you. Here's the man you're becoming. Here's what encourages me about you. And the boy would say, here's, here's what you have passed down to me. And they prayed over this boy. Can you imagine the experience that would have been for a 13-year-old boy growing up and becoming a man to have all these adult men that love him and speak, spoke into his life and say, we're here for you? And here's a dad that recognizes he can't do it alone. And he wants other people pouring into his son's life. I love that story. I want to do that with my own kids. Let me show you one more statistic. There's uh, been a lot of research done. Oh, did we lose it? Jesse, can you do it? There's been a lot of research done on why 18 to 22-year-olds are leaving the church. The stats are up to 70 to 80% that graduate and leave the church. And so, you know, we're trying to figure out why this is. Check, check this out. Teens who have had at least one adult from church make a significant time investment in their lives were more likely to keep attending church. More of, those, more of those who stayed in church by a margin of 46% to 28% said five or more adults in church had invested time with them personally and spiritually. Isn't that amazing? The more that adults invested into the youth, the higher the chance was that they stuck with it, that they stayed Christian and they, they stayed um, committed to the church. And the reality is, and I can attest to this as a youth pastor for a while, that the older the kids get, the more important it is for them to have other adult voices in their lives other than their parents. And this is why I believe in small groups. I think small groups are so important both for children's ministry and youth ministry and young adults ministry because it provides an opportunity for adults to intentionally and um, consistently pour into a specific group of kids and teens and allows their godly influence to permeate into their lives. And so, I've said a lot. Let me... uh, let me kind of um, make some applications here. With all this in mind, let me get really practical on you. Um, let me tell you about what we do with youth here uh, this, this last year. And I'm really excited to en- as we enter into a new youth year. We have a one-to-four ratio of adults to youth in our youth ministry. And this is something we really value. I, I don't want to have 50 kids and me and another person working with them. We have a one-to-four ratio recognizing that the biggest influence we have is adults pouring into those, into those kids. And it's a really good mix of young adults and older adults that are parent peer age. And they are consistent, reliable leaders. I've had some people come to me and say, hey, I can give, I can give you once a month, maybe twice a month, I'll come and lead a Bible study for you. And I said, you know what? God bless you. I'm sure there's other ministries that would love to have you, but that's just not going to work for us. Because our commitment is consistent, reliable influence in our kids' lives. Every week, the kids know their leader's going to be there, their leader cares for them, and their leader's pouring into them and building relationship. yes. We do Bible studies. That's absolutely important. But it's Bible studies done out of the context of relationships and adults being role models who have earned the right to speak into the kids' lives. That's so important to us. Our ministry is based on relationships more than anything else. Um, and we recognize how important it is that youth are connected to the church. So we work really hard at having youth uh, serving, you know, doing worship, doing communion, doing ushering, doing greeting, helping out with the children, for them to see this is their church and they can serve and they can contribute. And then the church sees them and are so encouraged by them. You know, we did a youth service last spring and we're going to do another one this fall where the youth lead the whole thing just to say, hey, we're here, we're part of the church, we are the church, this is important. So we're working really hard on doing stuff like that. I work really hard at trying to keep parents informed on what we're doing and what we're teaching. This is why I send out parents' newsletters, and I hope that parents are reading, okay, here's the curriculum, here's the lesson that they're doing, let's continue the conversation at home with our kids. 
Let's, let's keep this going. That really is the goal, that we're partnering with parents. So parents don't just come, drop off their kid, expect us to disciple them so that they don't have to do it at home. That's not the goal here. The goal here is to partner with parents and to tell parents, here's what we're doing. Now you can continue it at home and continue the conversation. Um, a, couple, a couple applications for this site specifically at Junction. You guys have a mac and cheese. I came here once. It's like 50 kids showing up here every week for lunch. What an opportunity you have to reach the high school. Most churches would die for that opportunity. You know, take advantage of that. Take advantage of speaking in to the next generation. Um, we, the way we do youth here, obviously we don't have the resources to offer a youth group here in Junction and Nellie Nelson and in Belfort. So we really encourage Junction and Belfort to drive in. One of the things that you can do as a church is provide rides. I've talked to some kids and they say the only reason I don't go is because there isn't a ride. The Schellenbergs were the consistent drivers and when they didn't come, we had no youth from Junction come. So one of the things that you guys can do as a church is provide consistent rides so at least the youth have an opportunity to come to youth group and have adults pouring into their life. Uh, really excited for the men's retreat in November. We are encouraging youth to come with their dads. We want youth to be a part of the men's retreat. And the youth that don't have dads or dads who can't make it, we're going to have an adopted dad so that they come and can build relationships with the older generation because this is what we so value. And I hope that that continues on with uh, women's ministry. Okay, real briefly, implications for children's ministry. Obviously, it's not a babysitting service. Children's ministry is a crucial part of what the church is doing in passing on the faith to the next generation. So therefore, you need Sunday school teachers who are passionate about kids, building relationships with the kids, and, and encouraging them in faith. Did you know that the majority of decisions for Christ are made by grade five? Grade five seems to be the crucial year. Am I going to follow Jesus or not? which means that what's going on in Sunday school is so crucial building up to that moment. One of the, one of the big things we're doing in light of that, um, we are changing kind of the, the, the age group of youth. Youth now is grade 8 to grade 12, and we're creating a new ministry, grade 5 to grade 7, just recognizing that kids are choosing Jesus younger. And so we want to start reaching them at a younger age and providing a kind of a youth group mentality and an opportunity for grade 5, 6, and 7. Uh, for Sunday school, consi again, consistent leaders who are willing to engage in relationship. Um, we do this here in this church. I'm really gl glad about that. Kids that worship with us. In my last church, we were so big. Kids, we just drop our kids off and we do our worship thing and they do their thing. And the kids were never part of the service. I don't ever want to attend a church like that again. I want my kids to be a part of the whole church. My kids get up Sunday morning and they're excited to sing and to worship and to mix it up with other people. It's so um, so important to me. And I would also say, ideally, if it's possible, you need people other than moms doing it. You know, my wife speaks into my kid's life 24-7. They don't need her for, her for that one hour on Sunday. What they need is another person speaking into their life. So if possible, have someone other than a mom doing it, or their mom doing it. Okay, real briefly again, um, applications for us as a church. We need leaders who are willing to invest in the next generation. Uh, their time, their energy, their gifts, their finances. We have to work hard at making this church feel really good for the next generation, that kids and youth feel welcomed here, that their names are known, they come in here and feel like they are at home. That's got to be the goal. The, la the church that I grew up with, I'll never forget this moment. I was walking out of the service and there was a teenage girl smoking and this old guy, he had his suit on and his Bible, he walked out and he started ripping into her. 
you know, and it just boiled my blood. And if I was any older and any bolder, I would have said something. But that is not how we treat the next generation. We make this a place where they feel at home and accepted and valued and loved. My hope and my dream for you guys is that the mac and cheese kids come here, they get excited that this church has opened their doors to them, and they come in on a Sunday morning and they are greeted and loved and surrounded by you. That's how it should be. That we are a church that has created a culture where kids and youth are so important. Because obviously they are. And so as a church, we are a spiritual family. We are an intergenerational community. We've seen how important this is statistically for kids. So your presence here is important. This is one of the reasons that uh, maybe you've heard that we're canceling our Saturday night service in Nelson. Because we as a leadership has just said, we so value intergenerational worship that separating ages is just not, it's not a good thing. And what Saturday night had kind of become was youth and youth parents with a bit of mix of other people. But my kids never saw youth. They never could look up to youth and be inspired by them. And the youth, likewise, could never see the gray hairs who have been Christians for 50, 60 years. And so what we're saying is we so value intergenerational connection and worship that we want to bring everybody together. This is so important. One thing I will never do is youth Sunday school or youth worship service during the time of church service. And lots of churches do that. I will never do that because I want the youth and the kids to be a part of our body and a part of our community. To me, it's absolutely crucial. We need each other. We are a family. So, said a lot. Let me just briefly recap. Parents, we know you have the, res- the primary responsibility to raise your kids in faith, but don't be doing it alone. It's not supposed to be done alone. This is why we have church. This is why we have a spiritual community and family. We want to play a role in that. As a church community, we partner with parents in passing down the Christian faith. We must be intentional at surrounding our kids and our youth with adult role models who are going to speak into their life. An intergenerational connection is huge. Let me end with this. We dedicated our daughter, who's 10 months, a few months ago, um, to the church, or to God, obviously, in the church. And uh, the commitment the church made is we're going to help you, Chris and Laura, to raise your daughter. We're going to provide a community for you guys where she can be inspired, where she can grow and get to know Jesus. And we're going to support and encourage you, Chris and Laura, as you seek to raise her in faith. To me, that's so important. It was a huge moment for us, for Laura and I to recognize we're not in this alone, we're in this together. And we recognize that we need help. And our church community comes around us and says, we are here for you. This is why I think child dedication is so important because it says a lot to the parents, but it also says a lot to the church because I'm going to hold our church accountable to that. I will, because I need them. I can't do it alone. I don't want to do it alone. We are in this together. That's what it means to be a family and a spiritual community together. And I think that's what Moses is really getting at in that passage. So uh, Jesse's going to come up and share briefly some opportunities for junction. Let me uh, just pray for you guys as he does that. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this site, for this community of people. And I just pray your blessing upon them as they seek to raise up kids in faith, as they seek to pass on the love of Jesus to the next generation. Lord, would you empower them and help them and rally them up to this mission, this absolutely crucial mission in passing down the faith. Lord, bless them and inspire them today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.